Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to the book of Acts? Acts chapter 27 is where we'll start, and it will end up in John chapter 6. Acts chapter 27, John chapter 6, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Sometimes Jesus Sends Us Into a Storm. Sometimes Jesus Sends Us Into a Storm. And as we have been learning about the hope that's found only in Jesus Christ, we've been reminded time and time again that all of us will face difficulties in life. They may be different difficulties that we face, but the result will be the same. Bring us to a place of brokenness. Bring us to a place of pain. Bring us to a place of desperation. And the Christian is not immune to the difficulties of life. Things don't get better often, but harder in life. And it reminded me of a story, the true story of the Apostle Paul when he was on a boat at the end of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 27. There's just a couple verses there that as we learn from those verses, it sounds a lot like our lives so many times. Notice with me verse four of Acts chapter 27. It says, and we had put out to sea from there. We sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, the city of Lycia, and the centurion found an Alexandrian ship selling to Italy. And he put us on board, and when he had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone, passing it with difficulty. We came to the place called Fair Havens. I marked a few things to note. The winds were contrary. They were traveling slowly for many days. They arrived, but with difficulty. But then the wind didn't permit them to go forward, and then finally they did pass by, but it was with difficulty. That sounds so much like our lives. Contrary things. Life seems to be in slow motion many days, weeks, or years. We arrive, but with difficulty. We, We want to move forward, but the wind doesn't permit us. And then finally we do arrive, but it was with great difficulty. You see, growth and strength for the Christian doesn't come overnight. Maturity for the believer doesn't come by living life what we would call smooth sailing with no problems. And isn't it true there are promises in the Bible that we just don't like? Promises like what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He said, yes, all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. I'm sure that's not written on your mirror in your bathroom. I'm sure when you wake up in the morning, you go, oh, Lord, I'm going to claim the promises of you today, God. And I claim the promise that Paul told Timothy he's going to have a hard life. Lord, give me a hard life today. Now, if you do pray that, would you please email me? I think we need to talk to you and encourage you. I mean, we're not asking for that. My prayer in the morning is, Lord, I, I, I like your will, but I'd like a good day. Can you give me a good day, Lord? I'm praying for good days. Anybody else praying for good days? Sometimes good days involve storms because it is true for us. And that's not a promise we're sharing with people. Or in Acts chapter 14, the Bible says that we must, through many tribulations, 
enter into the kingdom of God. And yet, isn't it true through these trials and tribulations that God grows us up and he allows tailor-made storms just for you and me to make us grow? And sometimes, yes, God will actually send us into the storm for his good, excuse me, for our good and his glory. Providentially, sovereignly, the God of all creation will choose sometimes to send us into a storm. Notice with me in John's gospel now, with that in mind, in John chapter 6, pick up in verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to a mountain by himself alone. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into the boat and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Would you turn over to Matthew chapter 14 as another gospel writer gives us a few more insights on this episode. Mark chapter 14. Again, this is happening just after the feeding of the 5,000, or by some accounts could be 15, 20,000 if a wife and a child was with those men. So they just experienced a tremendous miracle, a glorious working of God, and might I say a test, a test of faith for them and trust that God would provide the food to feed these thousands of people. Notice what Matthew says in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was alone there. Now, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter had gone down out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he had saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. After the feeding of the thousands, the multitudes wanted to crown Jesus king. They had misunderstood the reason why Savior Messiah had come the first time. They were so desperate to be rescued from the oppression of the Roman government. They were tired of being under the thumb of the Roman government, and so many of their liberties have been taken away, so that by time that the Savior had come to them, they only saw him for what he could do for them rather than King Jesus to submit their lives to, and they were wrong. In the first coming of Jesus Christ, he came not to overthrow the Roman government, but to overthrow the, overthrow the power of sin in an unforgiven life. He actually came to take care of a far worse problem than the oppression in a government. He came to save their souls. And in order to get the disciples away from the frenzy, 
he sends them out on a boat to the other side of the lake to get them away. And where does he go? He goes up on a mountain to pray. In verse 18 of John chapter 6, it says that a great wind was blowing. Peter, when he recognized the storm, he called it a boisterous wind. It's a big storm. The Sea of Galilee is actually a lake. It's 15 by 8 miles, about 700 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by mountains. Now, of course, we think of mountains as the Rocky Mountains. These aren't the Rocky Mountains, but they're high. And you could see if you were to go up on any of these mountains, on, even on the side, on the hillside, you would have a good view of the entire Sea of Galilee. So while the disciples are in a boat going in the middle of the sea, Jesus is going up by himself on a mountain, Matthew tells us, to pray. And now they're entering the disciples to a different type of test. They're going to be tested in their faith and trust in Messiah. They're going to grow up and become mature and make spiritual advance. And they're going to spiritually advance through this test just like you and me, because effectiveness comes to the believer through the storms of life. And there are storms in life. Now, storms we're using as a picture of trials. And the Bible uses the picture of storms all throughout its, its pages to describe the difficulties of life. And it's a picture that we can understand, how storms show up suddenly, how they do such great, quick damage how they're, they're, they're not only sudden but unexpected and unwanted. And to be in the middle of one is not something that, that is desirable or fun. And so the storms, they come to us. Sometimes storms come to us because of our own sinful mistakes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You could say in a real way that we bring on ourselves sometimes the storms of life as we deal with the consequences of our sinful decisions. The storms of life sometimes come upon us because of the sinfulness of others. No doubt someone listening to my voice right now is suffering pain and agony because of the sinful decision of someone else over which you have no control. And you're in a storm today. Sometimes we face the storms of life just simply because we live in a sinful world, a broken world a world that is plagued by separation from God and animosity toward the people of God, and we suffer. And yet this one, this was a storm that God sent the disciples into. And that, for many of us, doesn't make any sense. Because when we think of storms, we think of avoiding them. When we, when we think of storms, we, we think of, I don't want anything to do with them. For, for example, just yesterday, I had an appointment, it was really just Friday. I had an appointment to, to teach. I was invited to teach the men up at Calvary Chapel in Cheyenne and all the northern Colorado churches. And so, so me and Pastor Keegan, you know, as I was getting prepared, what did I do? I went online and I checked the weather because I wanted to know what is it gonna be like? What's it gonna be like? Where do I drive? What road should I take? What kind of clothes should I take? And I mean, if it was gonna be a big storm, I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have tried to avoid the storm. Driving, I would drive, you know, 30 miles around the storm if I could. That's how we think. It makes sense. I hope you think that way. I hope you're not one of those guys. And I met, I've met many of you, so I know some of you are here. 
that on a big snowstorm on a Sunday, you wake up and say, man, there's no storm going to stop me from going to church. I'm going to church. Honey, get ready. Get the kids ready. We're going to church. And there's like, but there's a storm outside, and it's boisterous, and and you'll get the four-wheel drive, and your wife says, we don't have a four-wheel drive. Well, let's pretend we're going to church. I do appreciate that because we're all here as well if we didn't close, but I do appreciate that tenacity in you, but for the most part, we like to avoid storms. This is so counterintuitive to how we think, Jesus. Isn't it true? Haven't you found it to be true that God's ways are not your ways and his thoughts are not your thoughts? And so here is Jesus sending the disciples into a storm. And you have the same questions that I have. So let's let's answer this, answer it out loud. Didn't Jesus know there was going to be a storm on the Sea of Galilee? Yes. And did Jesus send the disciples into the Sea of Galilee knowing there was gonna be a storm? Yes. And doesn't that lead to the third question? Why in the world would he do that? Why would he do that? Well, there's something that we forget in the midst of the storms of life. Because you're right, Jesus did know there was a storm coming. And you're right, he did send them into the storm. But you know something else he knew? He knew when he was going to show up to rescue them. He knew when it was going to end. Be encouraged today, church. He knows when it's going to end. And he knows when he's going to show up. And yet, even, even though we're waiting for him to show up and deliver, he's with us all the time. Oh, no, Eddie's up on the mountain. Yeah, well, he's up on the mountain doing what? Praying. And can't you get the picture? Can't you get the picture? Jesus is up there. Maybe, you know, he prays like we do sometimes, closes in his eyes. But can't, get you, can't you get the picture in your mind of a compassionate, loving Savior who has one eye closed praying to the Father and one eye open watching his boys? never losing sight. The Bible speaks of the eyes of God always upon you. He hasn't forgotten you. Yeah, Jesus sent them into the storm. You know, there are many types of storms that we read of in the scriptures when it relates to believers. If you're jotting them down, you looked at them, you looked at a couple of them last time with Pastor Joshua, but let me repeat them for you so that we have them in the context of our time today. Number one, we read of in the scriptures correcting storms. That's what Jonah went through. He faced a correcting storm. He was called to preach the gospel to the Ninevites, and what did he do? He bought a ticket and went the exact opposite direction as far as he possibly could go in disobedience to God. He, he, he didn't want to obey God. And I was doing devos recently in the book of Jonah, and, and I, this phrase just jumped off the page to me that God was preparing a fish for Jonah. Now, those of you that are running away from the Lord, I don't know, but perhaps God is preparing a fish for you, a correcting storm. Not only was God preparing a fish for Jonah, but he was also preparing that fish to get sick at just the right time to vomit him at the right place. Think about that. God was preparing the fish and the vomit at the same time. Because rebelling against God is very sickening. And God will send a storm your way to correct you if you won't correct yourself. He loves you. And he wants you and I to be in the right place at the right time. 
Secondly, there are perfecting storms, correcting storms and also perfecting storms. God allows these to come into our lives to teach us a lesson. I think a great example of that is the life of Joseph. Joseph was the kind of young man that all of us as parents want to raise. I mean, he was dedicated there. In, in the totality of Joseph's life, there isn't anything mentioned of ungodliness or rank sinfulness in his life in the Bible. And yet the brother went through great difficulty in his life. He had family difficulty. He had personal difficulty. He, he was accused of great and horrendous sins that he never took place. He was forgotten. He felt abandoned. I mean, if we were to talk to Joseph at any time in his life and say, Joe, you don't understand, man. This is going to end so well. God is preparing you. He's perfecting you. He's training you. You're going to be second in command. He, God is going to bring your brothers back to you. They're going to they're apologize because they're hungry. You're going to feed them. God's going to rescue your family. You're going to show everyone for all eternity the faithfulness of God. So just hang in there, Joe. It's going to, I mean, come on. If we came to him with that story in the pit, I would imagine Joseph's response would be, I see you're at the edge of the pit. Can you please get me out and then tell me the story? And that's how you feel sometimes, is it not, when somebody comes with encouraging words in your storm? You just, you're not in a place to hear them or even a place to believe them. Or as we saw in the testimony, there are those times in the difficulty you don't even want to talk to God. Those are human responses. They're normal. They're not the best, and they're not favorable, but they're normal. And you just keep taking those steps of faith toward God. You just keep holding on. I mean, here in the disciples, they're involved in what I believe is, is the third type of storm. Not only are there correcting storms and perfecting storms, but thirdly, there's the protecting storm. Protecting. This is what I believe the disciples are going through. A storm that's designed to keep them from something far worse, to get caught up in the frenzy, to doubt Jesus as the savior of the world for their sins, not politically. And so he's separating them away to get them away from the masses and the, you know how the hype gets when there's, when a lot of people are doing something, it seems like everybody jumps in and their human is just as much as anyone else and he's protecting them. And protecting storms are used to protect us from something that would surely hurt us, harm us, or destroy us, especially when we can't see it in the moment. You know, sometimes a setback comes in your life a serious one and a painful one. It might seem it's so huge and monumental and that you'll never recover. But in reality, it becomes the best thing that could have ever happened to you. Maybe you wouldn't have gotten that new job if you wouldn't have lost the previous one. Perhaps you would never be involved in that brand new ministry that you're in had God not closed that door you were looking to in another place. Maybe you would have never found that special man or that special woman that the Lord had personally picked out for you if you had remained forever in that previous relationship that was so painful when you broke up. And what happens in these storms is we do exactly like the disciples. We fight the storm and we row against the storm and we push against it. And this can't possibly be from God. And this pain can't possibly be used by God. And I just don't see how it's possible. And what? It could be exactly what God has for you. Because sometimes Jesus sends us into a storm. There's a fourth kind of storm that I'd lay before you, and that's shared with us by Jesus himself, and that is this revealing storm. Now, I think all storms reveal, but sometimes there are specific things in life that are used by God to reveal the very foundation of your life. 
That's how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter seven. He gave us this parable of two guys that built houses. I get the picture of, you know, they're track houses, same neighborhood, you know, they look the same, they're painted the same. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference between them. If you were a realtor, you'd just like, hey, either one of them, pick which one. But then storms came. And the rains came and the winds came and the flood came and the Bible says, Jesus says, they beat down on those houses. And one house stood and the other house was destroyed. And what was revealed through the storm? The foundation, what they built on. One guy built on rock and one guy thought he could get away with building on sand. And isn't it true? that God will allow things in your life to reveal your current foundation. That you could spend your whole life building and working and living life only to find out that you built on the wrong foundation. You thought you could get away with it, but we can't get away with it. How does Jesus describe that? He simply says this, anybody that hears my teachings and does them, you're building your house the right way. And anyone that hears my teachings and doesn't do them, it's like building your house on sand. sand. And how will you know that Jesus is saying the truth when the storms of life come? Because if you've built your house and your life on sand, the storms of life will reveal that to you. You see, the disciples here, they're in a storm to to build their faith, to be matured. It's getting harder and harder They're getting concerned. These well-worn fishermen, professional men on the sea have come to the end of themselves. And for hours, hour after hour after hour, they fight against the storm while Jesus is up on the mountainside praying for them. You need to remember this in your storm and in your difficulty, that no matter how you feel, and how disorienting it is. Jesus is still praying for you, believer. He hasn't left you. You need to remember this because in the midst of difficulty, I'll tell you, you feel like, man, God has abandoned me. Where are you now? How is this even possible? But you've got to see here that Jesus sent them and let them be in the storm for a while. He let them stay in the storm for a while. He didn't come at the first watch, second watch. He didn't, he, it took all to the fourth watch. The fourth watch was when the sun started to rise. They were all night. They were fighting this thing all night. And wow, he shows up walking on the water and it startles them. It, it shocks them. They think he's a ghost. You know, they just saw the most amazing miracle, you know, feeding of the thousands. We have to be careful because when we're reading the Bible, we read, we think miracles took place like in the time frame it took us to read the section. So we read that little section, he fed the 5,000, it took us about two minutes to read it, and we think, well, everybody got fed in two minutes. No, this was an all-day affair. If they're feeding just 5,000, let alone 15,000, the disciples all day were going back to Jesus, getting more, distributing it, going back to Jesus. All day they were doing that. All day God was miraculously multiplying that kid's little lunch. And they watched it. It was just like, so for Jesus to walk on the water would not be so surprising to men of faith. But like Peter, you see, they wrestled with doubt. 
Because that's what a storm will do to you. It'll cause so much doubt in you. A young man came up after service yesterday and it was just beating himself up for the doubts that he faces. And I looked him in the eye and I said, doubting is normal. The key is how do you respond to it? Will you choose to trust or will you choose to walk away? So why did he wait, make him wait? I mean, he sent them in, building their faith, but why did he make them wait? You might be here today asking, why is the trial so long, man? It seems like it's never going to end. Why would God have them wait? Well, well, in waiting, he was drawing out from them that desire to invite Jesus into the boat. I mean, they needed to become desperate. They needed to be in a place where they invited him in. You know, God will not force himself upon you. God will not force himself into your life. God will not force himself into your difficulty. God will not force himself. If you, you aren't asking for his help, if you don't want his help, it's available to you, but he won't force it on you. He's not going to impose himself upon you. He's not going to physically change your will against your will. He's going to respect that in you. And he was allowing this time so that you might invite him in. All the while, come in. You know, Peter's so excited, he's going to go out. But ultimately, all the disciples said, come in. It was just like, you can jot it down in Luke chapter 24, you've got those two men. It says the Bible, they were on the road to the city of Emmaus. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has just taken place. The worst day of their lives. The most emotional worst day of their life. So they're just going home. They're going back to Emmaus. And on the road, the Bible says they're talking and they're, they're going through it. And it says that they're sad or bummed out. I get the picture of they're just kind of kicking cans and they're just like, man, all my hope is lost. And what does the Bible say? The Bible shows that Jesus came to them and started talking to them. Now, he knows they're sad, and he has the answer for them, but he doesn't give it to them right away. He walks with them for a while and talks a little bit. Hey, why are you guys sad, and why are you going through that? I mean, he already knows what he's going to say, but he doesn't share with them immediately, but he keeps walking down the road. And then finally, their eyes open, they see it's Jesus, they're excited, and it's wonderful, and through the process... He brought them from sadness to begging him. They begged Jesus to stay at their house. They begged him. They invited him in. Once they realized who he was, they invited him in. And through the process of your life right now, God is saying, invite me in. Stop playing at church and stop being religious. What, I mean, you could even put it this way. What's it going to take for you to finally surrender your life to Jesus Christ, what's it going to take for you finally to pray with your wife? What's it going to take for you finally to submit to your husband? What's it going to take for you finally to disciple your kids? What's it going to take? And so you go through it, and you go through it until finally you get to the place where you realize, some of you I know are here today. You haven't been in church in forever, and you're here today because a storm has come into your life. Your world was rocked. As I shared earlier, I was in California last week and I shared with the men at Calvary Chapel Rancho Cucamonga. That's just a neat thing to say, Cucamonga. 
And I went and prepared a message. My friend Tony oversees the men's ministry there. Tony served here many years with his wife, Rosalina, and he invited me to teach. And I had a message on Caleb and finishing well and life's a marathon men and come on. And I thought it went really well, except for five minutes of that message, in the middle of teaching it, I felt impressed. I felt impressed of God to share just five minutes on the topic of PTSD, on not being able to sleep at night, on night terrors, and and on just struggling with mental images and just really going through it. And I also tied all that together with the Las Vegas tragedy that recently happened. And I wasn't even sure why I didn't, it didn't really fit with the theme of the message other than it was a little bit of a trial, but I didn't know why. And I I finished that little excursion and came back and finished the Bible study, gave an invitation. Nobody responded to the invitation, but the seeds were planted and it was an encouraging time. And after the study, as it normal is, I was hanging around and men were coming up. They were responding to the message, asking questions. And then I met a man, almost the last guy to talk to. His name was Reggie. So I want you to write down Reggie and I want you to pray for him and everybody like him. Because Reggie came up with tears in his eyes, a man of about 50 years old, maybe uh, 40 or 50, I don't, don't recall and I didn't ask. And he came up with tears and he said, I, I just want you to know that I was there in Las Vegas. I was there. I heard the bullets go over my head and I watched people fall dead on either side of me as I was rescuing my wife to get out of that concert venue. And as he began to share his story, he said, you know, me and my wife, we went to that concert, not as a married couple, but as friends. I mean, we're still married, but we're getting a divorce. And I decided to take my wife to uh, this country music thing, because we both like country music, which by the way, I I asked him why, but no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I did afterwards, because you got to laugh in difficult things. So I did afterwards, but he says, hey, uh, you know, we, something we share in common. I was just hoping if I took her on a date, some spark would be uh, inflamed and we would get back together and start moving away from divorce. And so we went to the concert and we had a great, we had a good time. We went all the way to the last night and then tragedy struck. And immediately I went into safe mode and I got my wife out and Lord spared my life. And because of Las Vegas, he said, I'm not able to sleep at night and I'm going through all sorts of things and he began to share. But he also said, because of that tragedy and because of going through that with my wife together, we are on the road to recovering our marriage and we're no longer getting a divorce, number one. That's not all, that's not all. He also said, you know Ed, I also want you to know that I'm here, my dad has been inviting me to church for years and years and years and this men's ministry thing is the first time I've been in church in years like this trial has brought me back to church and then while i'm talking to reggie there i'm just so encouraged and we got tears together and he's there a bigger version of reggie starts walking up it's reggie senior it's his dad and so he comes up and we begin the triangle conversation i just look at him isn't it so great god brings prodigals home god saved your son's life he's resting and we're just rejoicing in the lord and we left with great joy and got him connected to get some help and and it was just a glorious thing you would never think I mean, he's got a long road on every facet. He's got a long road ahead of him, but God used that storm to do immediately what hasn't been happening for years. So I go from Cucamonga to Downey on Sunday. Calvary Chapel in Downey, California is my home church where I got saved. 
Uh, it's my home church. So Pastor Jeff is in Israel, and when he found out I was in town, he said, hey, can you stay another day and teach for me? I said, of course. And so we rearranged everything, and I was there, and I taught another different message, completely different, but I really felt like I needed to share Reggie's story uh, in that. So on first service, I wove it in somehow, and I shared the story, and it was great, and it was affirming, and God's glory was there. Second service, I forgot. I forgot, because it wasn't in my notes. I forgot about Reggie's story until the end, just like right now, till the end. I didn't forget today, but it's at the end of service. And I look up at the clock and I'm like, oh man, I don't have time. And, and so, but then I thought, well, you know, Pastor Jeff is in Israel, so he won't really know for a couple weeks if I go a little over and, and you know, and, and you will be surprised. You will be surprised what goes on in my mind up here because there's a clock. If you guys want to turn around, I see that clock all the time. I don't pay much attention to it, but I see it all the time because I know what time it is and I want to be on time. The kids are down there, but I got all this going on. I got to share Reggie's story. So I share it. Just like here, I shared it. There's affirmation, we're joyful, gives us hope for the prodigals, gives us hope for our mind, gives us hope that God can do a work. It's amazing, great story. So after service, like here at Calvary, um, we, we talk to people, pastors are up here, but there, um, what, what Pastor Jeff prefers that we do is that during the last song, we walk down and go all the way down the aisle and then we greet people in the foyer, foyer as people coming out because the foyer is huge there. It has a lot of room and it's easier for them to do it there. So, so I, in the middle of the song, I walk out, I go out there. A lot of friends came to visit. It was a long day. I mean, probably it was people were waiting for me to go to lunch and finally a couple walks up. They both have tears in their eyes. And they come up and they come up a little bit timid and I can see that they really, they want to share something with me, but it's going to be hard for them. And so I do my best to calm the atmosphere. And it's going to be okay. Just go ahead and, and that's how I'll be with you. If you have something hard to share, I'll just say, just share it. Just share it. Just don't even think about it. Just share what's on your mind right now. And everything's going to be, so that's what I did. I said, just share whatever's, and they, they, the, the, the wife said, Reggie and his wife, that's our story. The same thing happened to them at the same concert marriage in the rocks they go as friends they make it to the very end they have the same experience and what does god do that i think that was the, that sunday was their second week back in church because of that trial back seeking the lord back moving toward the lord maybe that's you and it, you're you don't want to be here you don't like church you don't like religion you don't like all hey listen listen your hope is not found in a church. Your hope is not found in religion. But your hope is found in Jesus Christ. But you have to invite him in. Can't force him on you. We, we can't, God's not going to force himself upon you. You have to invite him in. And is it possible? Would you please consider that the difficulty of your life, what we've termed a storm today, is actually God wanting to get at your attention so your son or a daughter will come home and just get your life right. You see the way the world's going right now. You see the craziness. You know how. There was a young couple right after first service. That's exactly what's happening in their life. Exactly. They've only been in church now for the last three weeks after a great crazy thing happened in their life that they need to face and that they need to walk through. Listen, if you want to stay in your, if you're in your self-imposed storm, you can. And if you want to stay in the lifestyle that you've chosen, you can. And if you want to reap the consequences of your own sin and not be forgiven of them, you can. If you want to go to hell and spend eternity away from God, you can. 
but that's not God's heart for you. God's desire for you is not for you to live separate from him, not to destroy your life, not to do your own thing. He loves you so much that he poured out his judgment upon his son, Jesus Christ. He hung on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and rose again the third day so that your life will be made right with your creator. If you want to continue to have a marriage that's upside down and you men don't want to respect your wives and you wives don't want to, re- you can, but that's not God's heart for you. If you want to keep running to the bottle and thinking that's going to help you, you can, but that's not God's heart for you. If you want to find yourself in bondage and anger and bitterness and resentment, you can, but it's not God's heart for you. You see, storms come to all of our lives. We're either in one right now, we're just coming out of one, or one's right up ahead, but they come to all of us. And there is a heaven and hell. There is. You may think you're, you're okay, but outside of Jesus, you're not. You've sinned. You've broken God's commandments. You're living separate from him, and there's nothing you can do on your own. You must call upon God to ask him to forgive you of your sins. He alone forgives. Maybe the reason you're here today or listening to this message is because of the storm, and it's gotten your attention, and now it's time to act. Because storms bring us to a place of decision, and yes, Sometimes Jesus sends us into a storm and he uses every single one of them. And so, Father, as we find ourselves in a place of submission to you today, we pray that whatever we're going through, whatever we're facing, that you would have your way with us and that today would be the day of great outpouring of your spirit, a spirit of love, a spirit of comfort, a spirit of encouragement. I pray, God, that you would just Man, people would just be getting serious with you once and for all, even in the hurt and even in the pain. You're the great healer. You're declared to us in the Bible as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Jesus, you said yourself that you came into this world to heal and to set people free and to give people sight and to minister and serve the brokenhearted. Would you do that among us today? Would you have your way with us, God? Would you be to us as we invite you in? God, I just pray that you would move hearts right now to invite you in. And if you're here today, as we're praying for you, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm gonna ask you to do that right now, to invite Jesus into your life, to ask him to forgive you of your sins, to repent of your sins, to repent and turn away from your sins. Repentance means to go in a different direction, and today's the day that God wants you to go in a different direction. And so if you're here today, I want to give you an invitation, an open invitation to turn away from your sins and to turn your life toward Jesus Christ. And if that's you right now, if that's you, would you stand to your feet? We want to pray for you. That today, today's the day that God is, like that's why you're hearing this, to receive the love of God and to accept his forgiveness and the removal of guilt and shame and to give you eternal abiding life, both enjoyed to be enjoyed now, but ultimately to be enjoyed for all of eternity. If that's you, would you respond? Would you respond? Here in the room, you can stand to your feet. Please do that. Do it publicly. Have a public response to the invitation. Obviously, if you're out on the radio or 
you're out on the internet, we don't see you, but it doesn't really matter if we see you, God sees you. And he knows. He's just waiting for you to invite him in. So invite him in. Ask him today to forgive you of your sins. Admit to him how far you are. Admit to him how distant you have been. Maybe you even need to confess a sin to him, not just sin, but what you've been into. God, I've been, I've been in adultery. God, I've stolen. God, I've been worshiping idols. God, I've been living an alternative lifestyle. I've been running away from you, whatever it might be. Church, you can also be repenting yourself, coming back to the Lord like Reggie. Wherever you might be, may you invite Jesus in today and then come up after the service and talk to one of the pastors, one of the men and women on the prayer team. Let God minister to you. Father, I pray for those that are here today, those that are listening, those that are growing in grace. May you have your way with us. Speak life into us. Let us respond to what we heard today. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.